When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. everybody to Fruit Loops episode nine. That's right. Nine and feeling fine. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, if you are enjoying, please subscribe, like and review the show um, wherever they let you do that. <laughs> and uh, it would mean the world to us because I am super insecure. And it also helps the show. So uh, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color that we don't hear about or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white, but because serial killers tend to choose victims of their own race and the press loves to report on white victims while neglecting the stories of people of color, there is a prominent belief out there that all serial killers are white. Well, guess what? They're not. And there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color. And Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out. Because the news is racist. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We are not journalists, Mm -hmm. investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. That's right. We're extremely unqualified, but we are really having fun to it. We do have an obsession. (laughs) We do, yeah. (laughs) Some of the things that we discuss on this podcast may be triggering and or disturbing for some listeners. Please know that we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com. Enter at your own risk. So, how are you, Beth? What's new? I'm good. <laughs> how has how um, your week been? 
Well, uh, the weekend, uh, you know, we had those monsoon storms last week. We oh, had a couple of them. Oh. They're awesome. So I had so many tree tre- limbs. So many trees. So many trees. Uh, yeah, so many tree limbs, and my pool turned green. There are oh, leaves yeah. everywhere. So I spent a lot of time this weekend cleaning that up, and you know, trying to get the pool back to normal. And then, uh-huh. what did we get tonight? Another monsoon. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you should just hold off on cleaning the pool till December. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I think my neighbors, my neighbors probably wouldn't appreciate my mosquito farm. (laughs) Oh, is that what happens when you don't clean it out? Yeah. If you don't clean it, like don't keep chlorine in it and it just turns green and then, you know, it's good for mosquitoes. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, I, I have mixed feelings about the pool. I'll tell you that. I like it's the a pool, love but I hate the pool. It's yes. Okay. Okay. And do you yeah. use your pool much? I mean, are you just keeping Not it clean? Not a whole lot. Out of your beeswax? Or- <laughs> <laughs> Not a whole lot. Um, <laughs> when my grandson lived with me, uh, we used it all the time. Oh, okay. uh, but. Yeah, but just by myself, I use it occasionally. Mm, so. Okay. Um, but it's nice to you, have. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, have you considered getting a pool guy or are you the pool guy? I'm the pool guy. Yeah, okay. I'm the pool guy. I've considered getting a pool guy, but uh, money, 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 money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Always comes well, down to the money. I, I don't know if you've know, heard of this thing called the lottery, but everybody oh, yeah, has an equal chance of, of winning. <laughs> <laughs> you can't win if you don't play. That's what they say. That's what they say. Now, I won $20 on a scratcher last week. So, wow. There's hope. There's hope. And you know what I did? Wow, bought I've, more scratchers. I bought more scratchers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what they count on. <laughs> I think the most I've ever won is like five bucks. N- really? Still, still, yeah. that's something. We, um, yeah, it's something. We won $150 one time. Oh, my and gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, we're just... We are lottery believers. (laughs) Uh, Someday we will get that winning, that winning Powerball. (laughs) And when we do, we will continue doing this show. So how was your week? Oh, um, so this week was good. So I was on uh, vacation in that I took time off, but stayed in um, town. And uh, my mom was in town. Staycation. And uh, my mom took the kids for a couple days. Um, nice. and, uh, yeah, it was nice. And me and my husband were like, we're going to like, we're going to go to the strip club. We're going to, and we were like, so tired <laughs> that we just like <laughs> got a, we got a movie on demand and we just like went to bed at like nine. <laughs> so did your mom take the kids somewhere else or did you guys go get a hotel or? So when my mom comes into town, she stays in a hotel. And so oh, she, okay. the, the, we dropped the kids off at, at her hotel. And uh, <laughs> my mom is an interesting person. So she's an immigrant. And um, <laughs> she <laughs> she uh, is, like, super educated. Like, she has, like, I don't know, 
a ton of degrees and stuff. And uh, she's very introverted. And my kids are very loud and wild and have very big personalities. And so we were afraid for her. Like, are you going to be okay? Yeah, especially in a hotel room. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, they were okay. They had fun. And she made them, you know, like um, Central American food and they didn't eat it. And that's okay. And, uh, you know, they had, they, they had fun. They had fun. So I want um, your mom to make me Central American food. Oh my gosh. So she, okay. This was really nice. So before she left, she like made a bunch of stuff and, um, put it in like Ziploc bags for us to make, uh, for ourselves when, for when she left. So this morning we had, um, we had some Belizean, um, pancakes and they were delicious. Mm, Yummy. So, yeah, and oh, we saw Jurassic Park. Now I've already commented. Oh, the the new one. My the new one. So here's what I'll say about that. Save your money <laughs> if you're not a super oh. Jurassic Park fan. You're you're not you're not going to be into it. You'll probably think it's too long. And uh, um, I heard it was not, not more violent than the earlier ones. It was. There was more. There was more blood. And I know that they have like you know rest- like. To get the rating, I think it's PG-13. There's like a certain, you can have a few drops of blood, I think, in in certain scenes. So it was, I loved it. And every time I see Jurassic Park, I'm like, I just want to go there. So (laughs) we, we, and we took the kids and and the kids love Jurassic Park. So it's like a family affair. So um, we saw it and it was fun because it was an air conditioned building and we all love dinosaurs. And uh, so it was, it was nice. And I am more convinced now Halloween is coming up and I've decided that I am going to be DNA for Halloween because okay, cool. DNA started Jurassic park. DNA is responsible for putting away the killer that we will be discussing today. <laughs> and I just love <laughs> DNA. It's so cool. Yeah. So anyway. all right. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> so uh next we will be giving out some shout-outs. And this is the part of our show where we give shout-outs to any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. So take it away, Beth. Okay, um, so I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, once once upon a crime. We've we have uh, mentioned oh, this yeah. podcast before, um, but there was a special bonus episode of Once Upon a Crime where Esther mm-hmm. interviews Jerry Williams, who, if you uh, recall, I, I recommended her pod- podcast before. Um, mm-hmm. FBI retired case file review and they discussed Jerry's career as an FBI agent, her podcast and episode 76 of Jerry's podcast uh, where Jerry talks to another retired FBI agent about the Marjorie deal Armstrong case, which is uh, featured in the Netflix docuseries evil genius, which is really popular. Did you watch that yet? I did. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and so if you are into that docuseries, I recommend listening to both of those podcast episodes. Did oh, you like that docuseries or? Oh, uh, well, I, uh, yes, I did. I liked it very much only because she, I don't know why they call her genius. Um, because she's, she's not, the only no. one who says smart and she's like, she's like, 
what are you talking about? Like, she just like is shouting at me. What are you? She's so abrasive. How could I have have done this? Yes. How could I have done this? And then just want to punch her in the face. But then then when you tell her how beautiful she is or, oh, you look really nice today, Marjorie. Then she's like, she calms down. Like she calms down. She's fucking nuts. Not she's crazy, genius. yeah. Evil, crazy evil bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> evil nutbag. So <laughs> evil <nut> <laughs> Yeah, pretty so, much. Yeah. I think that. um, you know, I don't recall where I heard this, but I think there was another podcast where they um talked to the um the directors. There, there was a couple of directors of the mm-hmm. uh document docuseries and Mm -hmm. uh they were saying that evil genius uh the title was not intended to be not meant to say that she was an evil genius i think they were saying it was it was kind of sardonic you know oh well that explains a lot that i can i'm pulling that i'm pulling that right out of my brain so there could have been you know <laughs> well, either way, no, I mean, if you're a true crime like enthusiast, it's it's like delicious. You'll love it. So, uh, it's, that's a yeah, good, it's, it's one, and, and I'm I'm looking forward to to checking out uh, Jerry's podcast. So, um, I guess before we discuss part one of the Sunday morning slasher, do we have any news? Yeah, I had kind of a, a weird one. Uh, that I just kind of stumbled across. Um, Authorities have released two images, uh, their facial reconstructions of young men whose remains were found in John Wayne Gacy's house. Come again? They've never been identified. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy. They have never been identified, and police are hoping that this will help in identifying them. And additionally... There are four other victims whose remains have never been identified. I had no idea that there were still remains that had not been identified. Why? So there's six. Six that have been unidentified. So unidentified all these years. Yeah, they're working on it. They said they, they, um, they have the DNA, but they don't have people to test it against. Oh, so, okay. So yeah, oh, they're looking, they, they're I'm... hoping that uh, these two uh, facial reconstructions, somebody will recognize uh, them and come forward and then they can test the DNA. Oh, well, I hope, I hope they, for the closure for those families, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, just, just a reminder, crazy. I um, am newer to the true crime game. So like, you're like, Ugh. John Wayne Gacy. I already know who that guy is, but I'm like looking through my Rolodex of serial killers. And he's he's the fucko who um, the would killer. like invite the clown killer, and he would invite like teenage boys over to hang out at his house, and then he'd right. kill them and like and then what, cut off their privates and shit, and just ugh. Uh, you know, so, I'm not sure what he did with uh, as far as anything like that, but he. He, like uh anthony Sowell, he uh he stored them in his house and he, yes. there were so many bodies like they they were like in the crawl spaces and yeah. like stacked like wood like just mm-hmm. ugh, gross yeah and the neighbors were like kind of smells funny over there 
Oh, oh no, baby. No, baby. The clown. That clown <laughs> smells funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, right. Well, I, that's good news. That's good news. That's a, uh, it's a ray of hope, I think. So. Um, okay, well, uh, let's have a break to hear from our sponsors. Oh, wait, we don't have any. I like that jingle. I like those pipes. <laughs> hey, you've got a voice for podcasting. <laughs> I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now. Ohio is a land of mystery, from missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies, from myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick and me murder in house two a new podcast from crowd network um <laughs> carl eugene watts aka the sunday morning slasher aka coral um <laughs> any walking dead fans <laughs> coral <laughs> um the attacks rock 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 coral uh <laughs> the attacks um the the reason he, he got his name because the attack seemed motive motiveless random um and he often committed the crimes between um 3 a.m and 5 a.m on peaceful sunday mornings so that's how he got the name and now it's time for the stats oh my favorite part <laughs> stats uh well this guy is uh, connected to 22 murders to 100 victims. <laughs> and he admitted to attacking 15 women and killing 13. He ended up showing the police where 
I saw in a documentary, he showed them where three bodies were. Okay. But it could have been two. I, I, saw, I saw two or three. Um, his, the characteristics of his crimes were stalking, um, torture, but interestingly, no rape. Yeah. Uh, his victims were, yeah, females between the ages of 14 and 44. And guess what? They were mostly white. Wow. And uh, he would... He would uh, stab them and slash them and strangle them and uh, drown them and also bludgeon he, uh, them. <laughs> he was an equal opportunity killer. Oh, yes. See, you see what diversity <laughs> can do. Anyway, he pled guilty in 1982 for burglary with the intent to commit murder, even though he admitted to killing 13 people. Uh, it's, he got 60 years in prison. Um, but he only served 22. He, when he reached 22 years in prison, he appealed. And uh, we'll get into this later. Um, and he was about to be let out on a technicality um, because uh, he wasn't told something very important about his case. Um, I guess in uh, Texas, or maybe this is a federal statute, I I should know more about this. But anyway, um, he wasn't told that the water he used to drown, to try to drown the, the one of the victims, um, was a deadly weapon. And because he wasn't told that, he didn't um, know. that's not fair. <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't know that. So that means he gets to get out of jail. <laughs> so his crime was cut down to a lesser charge of only burglary and there was no there wasn't that aggravating factor and um he was scheduled to be mandatory released from prison on april 2006 more on that later all right so his early life carl eugene watts was born november 7th 1953 in colleen texas his his parents were richard and dorothy may uh, Richard was a private in the Army and was transferred to the Texas-Bermuda Triangle. And in 1942, before Carl was born, Colleen was selected to be the location for its tank destroyer tactical and firing center. That sounds pretty exciting. Mm. Just days after Carl's birth, they moved back to their hometown of Colwood in West Virginia. And a year later, their second child, Sharon, was born. Incidentally, uh, Colwood is the setting of Homer Hickam's book, Rocket Boys, which was turned into the movie October Sky, starring Jake Gyllenhaal. What's that one about? Uh, it's set during the um, space race and uh, oh. the uh, Sputnik. Does that any oh. of that ring a bell? No, but I'm just thinking, Jake Gyllenhaal, <laughs> I'm a sucker for a tall white boy with a beard and a nice hairline. Yeah, he's pretty hot. <laughs> and boy, I I will leave my husband. <laughs> he's he's on for... the list of celebrities you would leave your husband for. <laughs> oh, yes. And the list is long, girl. It's the long. list is long. Like I said, there's it's a so many handsome white boys out there that I just can't, I can't name them all. I don't know if I'd be able to get to all of them. Anyway. Yeah, he's, he's pretty hot. 
<laughs> yes. So back on back of a coral. Uh, when Carl was two, uh, his dad left the family for no reason, and um, Dorothy May moved out or moved with her two children to Inkster, Michigan, um, where she found a job as a high school art teacher. Um, but Dorothy May, Carl, and Sharon often returned to Colwood to visit family members. Carl loved visiting his grandmother, Lula May Young. He acquired his nickname Coral because his cousins had an accent, just like Rick Grimes from <laughs> Walking Dead, uh, had an accent and would draw out the letters in Coral, Carl's name until it sounded like Coral. Coral. And Carl decided, Carl, <laughs> Coral, Coral. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh my God. There's so many scenes where like he shouts that I'm like, why can't you just say Carl? Okay. So Carl decided that he liked it and also started talking like that. Carl asked his mother to change his name to Coral. Um, I read somewhere that um, he liked it because uh, a coral reef is a beautiful organism that is also very dangerous. Mm. So. So in mm. Colwood... Uh, Carl learned or Coral learned to hunt and skin mm-hmm. rabbits with his grandfather in the area around Colwood, an activity he greatly enjoyed. But in Inkster, uh, Coral struggled in school. He did try very hard with his homework and he did er- earn good grades. At some point during his childhood, Coral and Sharon got menin- meningitis which is an inflammation of the membrane that surrounds the brain and spinal cord and is caused by a viral infection. Mm-hmm. I read this happened when he was eight, but in other places when he was 13. So I'm not sure how old he was when this happened, but I read in more places that he was eight. So I'm thinking he was younger rather than older. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, in the book Evil Eyes by Corey Mitchell, it is it is claimed that their mother took them to Detroit General Hospital and the hospital saw Sharon, but they refused to see Coral. Um, and we we were looking um, because uh, I thought it sounded like racism was the uh, culprit of why they wouldn't see him. Um, but we really weren't sure of the reason. I don't know um if the hospital was segregated, I assume it was, but I don't know for sure. Um, and we were wondering if maybe one of um, Coral's parents was um, white or light skinned or white passing, or maybe his sister was lighter or white passing. Um, and that is perhaps why she got treated in. He didn't. Um, yeah, we did. We couldn't find anything. I looked like for pictures of his parents, um, yeah, information about his mom. I couldn't find anything. Me too. Me too. I looked for information about her, her new husband. Um, like I was hoping to see maybe an obituary picture of her. Yeah, I or, couldn't see pictures um, of anybody in his family. It. Anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, well, wow. I don't know how they did that. But uh, so anyway, we tried, but we don't know why he was treated. He, she was treated, Sharon, the sister, and he um, was not. Um, I did um, wa- did want to just, you know, caption the fact that um, I th- he was born, what, in the 50s? Uh, He's 53, eight. 53. 
Yeah. Then it's the 60s. And America is super racist at that time. So I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if the hospital didn't treat black people. Yeah. His, a certain number of black beds. His sister may have been light-skinned and, and she could pass for white. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Detroit also doesn't have a very good reputation in terms of race relations. They actually had this giant wall <laughs> that... Uh, uh, it's now called the the wall of shame, but um, I think they, that an it used actual to divide, wall, um, an actual wall that would divide whites and blacks from the town. Wow. Um, there's also uh, there were race riots uh, in Detroit. There were race riots everywhere, but the uh, in Detroit, I think um, in the mid '60s, it was a hotbed um, and it was dangerous. So wow. anyway, um, way to go, America. <laughs> Anyway, at some point, uh, Coral did have meningitis, and he had a very high fever and was admitted to Herman Kiefer Hospital. He had to be kept separate from other patients and had to get spinal taps. That's also from the book Evil Eyes. His fever Mm. ran so high that doctors feared it could have caused brain damage, and Coral missed a year of school because of the illness. It's reported that he was not the same afterwards. His attention span dropped and his grades suffered. Coral also complained his memory often failed him. Anytime an infamous serial killer's childhood is mentioned, there are always four topics of conversation which are mentioned as possible clues to their terrifying future as a murderer. Uh, The McDonald triad, um, which is bedwetting, uh, animal abuse, and arson. And then another factor is sustaining a serious head injury at an early age. Um, For example, the Texas Tower sniper had a brain tumor that caused him to go nuts. Uh, (laughs) Richard Ramirez had a dresser fall on his head when he was a kid. So um, if the doctors were suspecting um, brain damage as a result of this meningitis, well, check that box. Yeah, could have been a factor. Uh, These clues point to Mm -hmm, the possibility mm -hmm. of a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. Antisocial personality Mm. disorder is characterized by a pattern of disregard for and violation of the rights of others. Their perception of situations and relating to others is dysfunctional, and they often manipulate people and act with indifference. That's fucking scary. Yeah. At age nine, Carl's mom got remarried to Norman Caesar, who had six kids of his own. They then had two more kids. Coral didn't get much attention because he didn't stand out. He was shy, quiet, and introverted. Coral kept everything inside, and when he got upset, he was volatile. As far as we know, he wasn't abused by his parents, uh, but he did have some trouble at school with violent outbursts. Um, We also read um, somewhere that he stalked some of the female students. Yeah. Okay. Coral got his frustrations out through uh, love of sports. He was an excellent baseball and football player and track star. He also won um, a Golden Gloves boxing title in the middleweight division. But the first time he got knocked out, he he gave up. As a teenager, Coral began having violent dreams that disturbed his sleeping pattern. He was restless when he slept because he would spend the night trying to fight off the evil spirits of women. In fact, he was trying to kill them. Oh. According to a 1991 Houston Chronicle article by Evan Moore, Coral's sleep-induced visions weren't actually nightmares, though. 
uh, because he enjoyed them. Oh boy, here we go. At age 15, Carl felt the urge to act out his dreams. One day he knocked on the apartment door of Joan Gave. She was 26 years old while delivering papers on his route. When Gave answered the door, the boy, who was unusually strong for his age, beat her up. He then continued his delivery route as if nothing happened. The police caught up with him, and when (laughs) when arrested, he told police he just felt like beating somebody up. Uh, He was ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation. I wonder why. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In September 1969, Watts was institutionalized in a hospital in Detroit. During a psychiatric evaluation, Coral talked about his dreams. When he was asked if the dreams disturbed him, Coral replied, no, I feel better when I have one. This response caused concern for Coral's mental well-being. But within three months, he was evaluated again and placed on outpatient treatment by Dr. Gary Ainsworth. In his final review of Watts, Dr. Ainsworth stated, This patient is a paranoid young man who is struggling for control of strong homicidal impulses. His behavior controls are faulty, and there is a high potential for acting out. This individual is considered dangerous. Okay, so so then they just... Everybody just went about their lives. Uh, On his 16th birthday... (laughs) Coral was released from the clinic. He went back to the clinic for psychiatric help approximately nine times following his initial visit. Um, With the help of his mother's tutoring, Coral graduated from high school at age 19. Despite his low grade point average, he won a football scholarship to Lane College in Jacksonville, Tennessee. But he didn't stay long and returned home. After one year of working as a mechanic for a Detroit wheel company, Coral was accepted into a special scholarship and mentoring program sponsored by Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. Prior to attending the program, Watts was again evaluated at the outpatient facility where it was determined that he was still a danger and had a strong impulse to beat up women. Okay. Yet, due to the right uh, to confidentiality, policies, staffers were unable to alert authorities or the college Watts was attending. Mm, Shortly afterwards, a string of attacks plagued the campus. Weird. Yeah, guys. (laughs) Jesus Christ. When when do uh, do morals and ethics come into any of these institutions' (laughs) rules? Okay, sorry. You know, I think think they can now. Um, Okay. If if they think somebody's a danger, I think they can now. Okay. Uh, tell other people, okay. but uh, probably at the time they could not. Well, that is a damn shame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the setting is uh, Ann Arbor and Detroit, uh, the tr- Detroit area uh, in Michigan, and then in Houston, Texas, from 1974 to 1982. Uh, Just uh, a factoid. Mm -hmm. Ann Arbor is 40 miles west of Detroit and the home of the University of Michigan. Not looking too good, University of Michigan, at the current time. Uh, Isn't that where that doctor molested all those girls on the gymnastics team? Is it? I think so. Ooh, yeah, Larry Nasser. Anyway, um, 
I could have that fact wrong, but I don't think I do. Uh, Watts may have murdered in Windsor, Canada also, I think I saw in a spot in one of the articles yes. that we I looked at. Um, Detroit is interesting in terms of its uh, geographical relationship to Canada because it's I think it's like the only place in the United States where um, to go from the U.S., you have to go south to get to Canada. But um, Windsor is right across the Detroit River from Detroit. So, yeah, yeah, and I I Google mapped it just to, I was like what so I I Google mapped it and took a look at it and it's like a twelve minute drive to Canada what uh, from, wow to, oh, okay. to Windsor from Detroit uh-huh. it's twelve minutes you just have to cross a bridge that's about it <laughs> oh wow yeah. okay yeah so it's right there oh well there you go crazy Hop, skipping a jump. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Timeline time. So now we're going to get into the timeline. Yes. Okay. On October 25th, 1974, Lenore Knizaki answered the door to her apartment in Kalamazoo. And she was attacked by a 20-something African-American man who said he was looking for Charles. She fought back and survived. Uh, She was not sexually assaulted or robbed. On October 30th, 1974... 19-year-old Gloria Steele, she's a black woman, by the way, was found dead in her apartment in Kalamazoo, lying on her back on the bedroom floor uh, with 30 to 35 stab wounds to her chest and abdomen. Part of the weapon had broken off and was left lodged in her vertebra and was identified as a skew chisel, which is used for woodworking. There was no evidence of sexual assault, but her purse was missing. A witness reported speaking with a man at Steele's complex who said he was looking for Charles. That was five days after he was he attacked yeah. that other lady. He was see, uh, seen by others as well as an African-American man. Steele's boyfriend said that he and Gloria were the only African-Americans living in the complex at the time. So he was <laughs> noticed. <laughs> On November 12th, 1974, 23-year-old Diane Williams... And court records, uh, they have her as Diane Hoskins, so uh, that might be her married name. I don't know. In any case, uh, she reported Mm -hmm. being attacked at her apartment complex under the same circumstances, but no weapon was used this time. Uh, She was just strangled until she passed out. When she awoke, her attacker Mm -hmm. was gone. But this was in the apartment complex itself, and she had seen her attacker's car before the assault and was able to give that information to police. And she, again, she was not uh, sexually assaulted or robbed. That's so odd. I don't think yeah. I've seen that before in any of these true crime stories. No. Uh-uh. Um, Watts was arrested in 1975 for Diane's attack. He admitted to attacking 15 females, but denied the steel murder his attorney arranged for Watts to commit himself into the Kalamazoo State Hospital. The hospital psychiatrist, psychiatrist investigating Watts's background learned that at the previous institution, Watts was said to have possibly killed two women by choking them. 
Psychiatrists found that Coral lacked remorse for his actions and was impulsive, reckless, and emotionally detached. However, they did not think he suffered from any kind of psychosis and believed that he was able to distinguish right from wrong. They eventually diagnosed him with antisocial personality disorder. By the way, uh-huh. what do you think about this antisocial personality disorder? Because I never heard the diagnosis until I started looking into true crime. And yeah. um, do you think that it warrants some kind of um, like, should we lock up everybody who has this disorder? What do you think? No, I mean, should they- we be f- afraid of it? Well, yeah. Everybody you who sh- has the disorder? Should worry. You should worry about them, yeah. Uh, it's a very small percentage of the population that has antisocial personality disorder, so I wouldn't be too scared of it. But um, it's, on, it's kind of like on a spectrum, like anything else, um, like autism, uh, where there's varying degrees. Um, so mm-hmm. you can have somebody who has antisocial personality disorder who's just a pain in the ass, um, just annoying, uh-huh. um, just kind of uses people. And then on the mm-hmm. other end, you have murderers. So um, that's my take. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering about that. Figured I figured you'd be the right person to ask. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, well. the, the worst of the ones that have antisocial personality disorder are the ones that they would call psychopaths or sociopaths. Okay. Okay. But you could just be like a shy person. No. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody who has antisocial personality disorder um, just really doesn't have empathy for other people. So there are people who are in, um, business who have antisocial personality Uh disorder um you know somebody who uh anybody we work with just kidding no (laughs) well not that i know of but like uh the the guys that set up ponzi schemes and stuff like that you know um or Mm -hmm. or just ruthless business people i'm not going to uh mention uh that one person who's in high office <laughs> oh, you know, I just call him I just call him 9. He's not even worthy of 45. So I just add you just add the numbers together. Just call him 9. Yeah. 9. Yeah. Anyway, there there's there is talk that he he might I I I think he's uh he definitely has narcissistic personality disorder, but that can go hand in hand with uh antisocial personality disorder as well. Well, now I understand the diagnosis clearly. Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's get on with the story. Uh, Watts was described as dangerous, and the psychiatrist felt he would most likely attack again, but was found competent to stand trial. Carl, or Coral, as he now called himself, pled no contest and received a one-year sentence on the assault charge assault and battery charges, but was never charged in the murder of Steele. In June 1976, upon Coral's release, he found work as a mechanic and moved home with his mother, eager to resume his murderous activities against women. Not long after Coral's release, he began dating a woman named Dolores. The pair had a child together, but never married. Eventually, the couple split up and Coral began dating another woman named 
Valeria Goodwill, who married him in 1979. During a police interview years later, Valeria admitted that Coral's behavior became increasingly volatile during their brief relationship. According to Moore, Valeria told um, investigators that Coral had violent nightmares, would constantly rearrange the furniture, cut up houseplants with knives, uh, he cut candles and uh, would melt them on the table, he'd dump garbage all over the floors and not pick it up. And even more bizarre is the fact that every time they had sex, I shouldn't laugh at this. Every time they had sex, Cora would get up and leave the house for hours. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He he was a weird (laughs) dude. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that is a very long list of things. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, he was a weird dude. Red flag. (laughs) (laughs) A big one. Yeah. In October 1979, Watts was arrested for prowling around in Southfield, a Detroit suburb. The charges were later dropped. Investigators did note, however, that during the previous year, five women in the same suburb were assaulted on separate occasions with similar circumstances. None were killed, nor could any of them identify their attacker. By 1979 and 1980, attacks on women in Detroit and surrounding areas became more frequent and violent and were similar in style. On October 8th, man, he is just going and going. Yeah, October 8th, yeah, 1979, Peggy Pachmara, she was 22, an employee uh, at the Detroit Metro Airport, was found strangled in the front yard of a neighbor of her boyfriend's in Detroit. She had not been sexually assaulted or robbed. October 31st, 1979, Jean Klein, a 44-year-old Detroit news food reporter, was stabbed in Gross Point Farms, north of Detroit. She was attacked while she was walking home on a busy suburban road near her home. She died from 11 stab wounds. Again, she was not sexually assaulted or robbed. Uh, In December 1979, 36-year-old Helen Dutchner was stabbed to death in Westland, Michigan. She was stabbed 12 times. Her murder was witnessed by Joseph Foy, who reported it to the police, and a sketch artist created a composite of an African-American man. But police didn't do anything with the information. All right, hip-hop air horn for the police. Uh, This report was rediscovered, quote-unquote, in 2004, when due to a technicality, Watts was about to be released from prison without paying for a single murder. But more on that later. March 11th, 1980, 23-year-old Hazel Konoff, who worked for a telephone company, was found strangled in her boyfriend's driveway in Detroit. She was tied to a chain-link fence with her own belt cinched around her neck. She was not sexually assaulted or robbed. Okay, now that you describe that case, I, when you Google image search this guy, that image pops up. Oh, and I couldn't Hazel? figure out what it was. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I was trying to figure out what it was. Um, and uh, now that I am closing my eyes, I can see it clear in my mind. And that is exactly what it looks like. Wow. She's cinched up against a chain link fence in a pile of bushes. 
um, uh, legs stretched out. Um, she's wearing something white, looks like, or maybe it was cream colored or light. And she has dark hair. She's a white lady. Um, and um, her hair is really long, so it's like slunched over her face. Um, but I couldn't figure out what it was. So anyway, thanks for telling me. <laughs> You're um, welcome. <laughs> March, <laughs> March 31st, 1980. And we can... Um, We'll put a picture of it on uh, the show notes. Okay. March 31st, 1980, Denise Dunmore, she was age 23, was found strangled in a Detroit parking lot. She was not sexually assaulted or robbed. April 20th, 1980, Ann Arbor police were called to the home of 17-year-old Shirley Small. She had been attacked and repeatedly cut with an instrument resembling a scalpel. She bled to death on the sidewalk where she fell. And again, she was not sexually assaulted or robbed. In May of 1980, Valeria Goodwill filed for divorce from Coral Watts. And on May 31st in 1980, 27-year-old Linda Montero was found strangled outside her home in Detroit. She was walking home. Um, she was seen walking home by some neighbors at approximately 4.30 a.m. She also appeared not to have been sexually assaulted or robbed. On July 1980, 26-year-old uh, Glenda Richmond, a restaurant night manager, was found feet from her apartment door in Ann Arbor, stabbed to death with a screwdriver. She had left work at approximately 4 a.m. and probably arrived home between 4.20 and 4.30. She had uh, over 28 stab wounds as, and was not sexually assaulted or robbed. In July 1980, there was a string of attacks in Windsor, Ontario. Irene Kondratowicz, uh, she was 22, was attacked by a stranger. Despite her throat being slashed, she managed to live. Sandra Dalpe was 20, having been stabbed from behind, also survived. Mary Angus, 30, also of Windsor, escaped attack by screaming when she realized she was being followed. On September 14, 1980, 20-year-old Rebecca Huff, a University of Michigan student, was found stabbed to death outside of her apartment door in Ann Arbor. She had been stabbed 54 times with a screwdriver. That's my worst nightmare, by the way. Sorry. I know. <laughs> I just, if you're going to kill me, horrible. I don't want it to hurt. <laughs> just, yeah, just like, I don't know. Give me some drugs or something. Yeah, just... <laughs> Just lethal inject me and let me, let me, I'll be quick. Okay. Sorry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> she'd been out late with some friends and had returned to her apartment at about 3.45 a.m. She had not been sexually assaulted or robbed. The Ann Arbor Press noticed a pattern of homicides happening in the early morning hours, often on Sundays, so they dubbed the killer the Sunday morning slasher. A task force was formed, led by Detective Paul Bunton, to investigate the murders that occurred within five months of each other. The task force was dealing with no evidence and no witnesses. Sergeant James Arthurs contacted the task task force after reading about the murders, and he told him of his past experience with Watts and the similarities of Watts' previous crimes to those now under investigation. On November 15, 1980, officers got a lucky break. Two policemen were patrolling the area around Ann Arbor's Main Street at about 5 a.m. And I was watching a documentary, and apparently they they were actually trying to catch a guy who was sawing off the um, the heads of the parking meters. 
<laughs> what? 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 Yeah, you know the the parking meters. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah, he was. Some guy was going around sawing sawing them off. <laughs> what? To try to take the money out? I have no idea, but that's what <laughs> that's who they were looking for. They're driving around at five a.m. looking for this guy <laughs> sawing off the heads of the parking meters. Oh, that's but a, while that's they're an doing that. Fact. Okay, guys. Yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> so while they're doing that, they uh, noticed a suspicious man in a car slowly following a woman walking home. And they described how uh, he would f- uh, follow her and then drive up the street and then turn around and come back. And they watched him do this several times. And mm-hmm. uh, the woman ended up hiding in a doorway and the police observed Watts go nuts because he could not find her. And uh, I watched another show. uh, It was called Evil Eye. And Uh um, they showed their, they do recreations. And the recreation uh, was of him getting out of his car and kind of throwing a fit and then getting back in his car. But I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but I don't know how they, they would have known that he was going nuts unless it did happen. So Unless it did happen. Ooh. Yeah. I love, so anyway, on these uh, crime things, these recreations, I live for them. <laughs> I love them. Yeah. Yeah. But you just never know how, how factual they are, you know, cause, cause you'll watch, uh, documentaries on, uh, the same person, uh, mm-hmm. different documentaries and they'll give you different information. So you just never know. Yes. Anyway, true. Yeah. So so in any case, uh, they said they observed him going nuts because he couldn't find her. And then he drove away. Uh, The police officers followed him. Uh, They noted that he took an illegal turn. And so they were able to pull him over. Uh, They then arrested him for driving on a suspended license and for fleeing and eluding a police officer. Uh, in his car, they found screwdrivers and wood tools, and they found a dictionary belonging to Rebecca Huff. Uh, Rebecca was murdered in September of 1980. Detectives also discovered through highway cameras that Watts's car was recorded as uh, leaving Windsor for Detroit after each of the episodes in Canada. Watts became Bunton's leading suspect. Bunton and his team began round-the-clock surveillance of Coral. His movements were monitored with the help of a tracking device that was inconspicuously hidden under his car. Officers hoped to catch him in the act so they could put him away for good. They were almost certain that Coral was responsible for the deaths of Small, Richmond, and Huff. They just had to prove it. Coral knew that he was being observed and he uh, consciously suppressed his, or uh, I, I surmise that he consciously suppressed his urge to kill or assault for two months because nothing happened. Uh, and then with no evidence to go on, the police ended their surveillance and brought Coral in for questioning. Uh, Button interviewed him for approximately nine hours, but Coral refused to reveal any information. Eventually, Coral was released from police custody due to lack of evidence. At 
the time, he was suspected of at least two attempted murders and believed to have possibly committed five in and around the Detroit area. In the spring of 1981, Coral moved to Houston, Texas, where he uh, found work as a mechanic. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing; she'd invested three hundred thousand dollars with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Now, guys, don't be too sad. That's it for this episode, um, part one of the story of the Sunday morning slasher. Um, but tune in next week for part two. Yeah, we'll have the rest of the story so, when he moves to Houston wow, and what kind of hijinks he gets yeah. into there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, and the, well, you know, the rest and you know what happens after that so please tune in and thanks for listening up to this point now we're going to get into um sort of our takeaways from this story and let me tell you what i think um his victims i noticed were mostly white which is weird and i wonder why he hated white women so much he said he killed um these women because they had evil eyes and i wish i knew what the fuck that was about <laughs> i think i read that after he and his wife would have sex right that he would leave the house for hours that's weird and he never raped any of the victims that's weird <laughs> and on that documentary i watched on youtube about him and i'll link it up to the show someone said that this guy killed more than more people than ted bunny bundy or the green river killer or jeffrey dahmer or any of those other famous white serial killers that we know about i add the white <laughs> part um but we have not heard of this guy and I agree with that statement, especially since he killed yeah. so many white ladies. That's yeah, the media's favorite. <laughs> what the hell? And they so, and they weren't anyway. they weren't even drug addicts or anything. <laughs> they were just regular old white ladies. I know. <laughs> 
nor regular <laughs> white ladies. The, I mean, it yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Anyway, it is so weird. It's weird. We I also wonder why most of his victims were white. Because, you know, uh, the common thought is that serial killers usually kill within their own race. So this is very different from the norm. And I couldn't find anything about that. Nobody mm-hmm. talked about that. They all wanted to talk about how he almost got away with murder. But I'm interested uh, in the psychology. So I'm going to keep reading up this week yeah. and see if I can find any reference to that for our next episode. I did read an article that suggested that the reason why we don't hear much about this guy is because he wasn't a sexual predator. His crimes did not have a sexual motive. I don't know if that's true or not. So they're not as yeah. juicy. Yeah. <gasps> Yeah, that kind of gave me pause. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I think you just solved the case. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding. (laughs) Yeah. It's a law and order. (laughs) Yeah, for those of you who are playing the law and order drinking game, feel free to. Beth just won. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So. I can't wait. To, I can't wait then to hear what else. You know, see if I can find you anything. Can find out. Yeah, see what you can find. <laughs> Nobody, you're right. Nobody talks about. That. Okay, so um, here's the uh, next part of our show where we have some tips for you. So, <clears throat> if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that jingle. <laughs> I was actually thinking oh it gosh. today while I'm doing my yard work. I'm like, if you love to <laughs> and you don't want to die. Oh <laughs> Maybe we should um trade like trademark or something. Yeah, I, know. I, I don't think want we anybody should. to steal our ideas. Steal <laughs> okay. our jingle. <laughs> So anyway, this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, that's not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. Yeah, so um, I'll say that I noticed that these women were killed when they were, or they were attacked when they were doing, as the great Cardi B would say, regular schmegular degular things like changing a tire, taking groceries out of a car, putting your keys in your door to get in your house, walking home or walking your fucking dog. So if staying in your house forever is not an option, (laughs) never leave home without your cell phone. Consider carrying a whistle or some mace with you or a little knife. And when you go someplace like a store or a restaurant, um, true crimers, you're probably already thinking about the apocalypse and um, this kind of thing. But if you, if you're out someplace, like, like when I'm out in public, I'm like, If the zombie apocalypse came today, (laughs) I would hide over there. Anyway, uh, (laughs) uh, so when you're out, um, consider the exits and consider what you can grab, like a chair, a knife, or your purse that can be used as a weapon. Just think about it real fast and then continue doing what you're doing. Keep your head on a swivel. 
Also, some of these women reported that they were being stalked. So if you feel like somebody is following you, get to a public place and call the police. I also must say that use some fucking discretion when you are calling the police, because there has been a string of white people calling the police on people of color for doing basic ass activities of daily life. Don't do that. <laughs> Someone stalking you to potentially attack you and kill you warrants calling the police. But a little black girl selling water or Native American young dudes touring a college campus does not. So thank you. <laughs> And again, just be aware of your surroundings, especially if you need to be out walking when it's dark. Uh, carry something with you, like pepper spray or a whistle, or hold your keys in your hand to use as a weapon. And, you know, it's not a bad idea to sign up for a self-defense class. Ooh, that's a good idea. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we haven't mentioned that until episode nine. <laughs> that is such a good idea. Uh, thank you, Beth. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> we just barely said that. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that is a really good one. Um so, uh, thanks for listening to the show. Um, there are other people who are listening and people are responding and um, adding us and participating it's in our so discussion. Tweeting us and emailing <laughs> us. And uh, Thank you so much. It feels so good. Yeah, like I'm at work like, bitch, I'm on iTunes and you want me to do a fucking TPS report? Get out of here. <laughs> anyway... Uh, <laughs> so we've got some uh, listener letters that we want to shout out and share because we love them and appreciate them so much. So uh, we have a listener. Her name is Lonnie. I think it is. It's L-A-N-I. Um, she wrote to us on Facebook and she said, hello, ladies. I'm trying to do an Australian <laughs> accent because she's from Australia. Hello, ladies. I just, wanted to, I, I, just stop. I just wanted to reach across the ocean. I live in Australia and say the biggest thank you. Your podcast is amazing. I binged all the episodes in one day and made sure to tell anyone to listen to it. Thank you. That's me saying that. So she says, thank you for shining light on a world not many people know about and ensuring the victims are not forgotten. Stats is now my new favorite catchphrase. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. It is truly amazing and highly appreciated. Kind regards, Lonnie. Thank you so much, Lonnie. Yeah, thank um, you. Also, shout out Yes, absolutely. We love it. Keep listening. And um, also, we wanted to shout out our listeners who um, tried our recommendations to watch Wild Wild Country. That discussion, that thread is like thriving. And I yeah, love it. Was super on fun. Our, um, on our, <laughs> yeah. So um, thank you guys for listening to our recommendations and um, for being engaging with us on our Facebook discussion group about it. We love it. And we thank you so much. So um Hey, where can they find us, Beth? Well, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts from. Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. We are also on Twitter and Instagram on Fruit Loops Pod. So everything is Fruit Loops Pod. <laughs> That's right. 
Um, also, links to our sources will be in our footnotes that you can find on our website. Um, and this is a weekly podcast. New episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows